Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got the legendary Bobby Crimmins. In our interviews, we talk about the New York days, the playground days in New York. Um, how things were um, back in the days, a lot different than they are now. And then um, being a student athlete and then coming from New York to South Carolina. And then the transition from different institutions, different colleges where he coached, uh, where I got a chance to really meet him and, and know him when he came to the College of Charleston. So um, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Yeah, you know, and our and our uh, my organization, Day Foundation. What we try to do is be that that soundboard, that you know, that the information for the community, for parents, coaches, and players as well. So what we're doing is we're um, you know yeah. talking to you know a lot of collegiate coaches, a lot of former players, agents, just to find out what's needed and what's you know what's been going on in the, in the world of athletics and see how these move the the needle forward to get these more kids. Uh, exposure and, and getting them seen a lot. So that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Okay. So um, before we get started, um, I just want to just, you know, first talk about you and, and your coming up and all about this, this this round ball, how you first got into it. So talk about the parks and rivals, being in New York. Um, what are the parks, some of the parks and rivals that you came up on and, 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 and how did it all start? Well, um, I was born in the Bronx, New York. And um my parents were Irish Im- immigrants. Right. And we lived in the, in the South Bronx, which was like a melting pot of different nationalities. For sure. And Jamel, um, right across my apartment building, right across the street was this big schoolyard. And I gravitated to that schoolyard. They played softball, stickball, football, but they had two basketball courts in that, um, in that schoolyard. And mostly the black guys played basketball. Right. And, and I just gravitated to that schoolyard and I played basketball every second. And I could see I was getting better at it. I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. I did play the other sports. Mm-hmm. But I could just tell basketball was my thing. And um, that's where my passion for the game started. And the, the schoolyards of New York City. Whoever designed New York, um, you know, with parks and recreational uh, playgrounds, and, and it was a public school attached to it. Right. But those playgrounds, they were, they, they were just not for the public school. They were for the community. Right. And we all know, you know, you, everybody, that's where we gain our stripes. That's where we started getting noticed and community and our friends and peers start, you know, recognizing and, and respecting us from the games. So was Rucker Park, 
a part of your upbringing? And that's something that you experienced or that's a little different no. city, a little different area? Different area, different area. Um, I wasn't good enough to play in Rucker Park for a while. I, that, a little bit of that came later on. Uh, right. My parents were devout Catholics. And so there was a Catholic grammar school about, uh, I would say about uh, two or three miles away, about two miles. Right. And I walked to school every day. And as we all know, if you, if you could find a teacher, a coach, come into your life. Sure. And this grammar school had a basketball team. Sure. And they had a heck of a coach. And um, I went there very early, but it wasn't until it was one to eight. And it was probably the fifth or sixth grade that I, that I realized that they had a team. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a black friend at the grammar school that he liked basketball. And we both decided to go try out for the team. Nice, nice. And, um, and we had a great coach. And he saw something in both of us. Mm -hmm. We both made the team as sixth graders. And that was tremendous. So I had the schoolyard. And then I had my grammar school uh, program with a very good coach. Right. And then in New York at that time, they, the Catholic school league, they gave scholarships to high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, Lou Alcindo went to Power Memorial High School. That's correct. And there were a lot of tryouts. Some of the high schools were like Rice High School, LaSalle, Power, All Hollows, Stepanak, um, Malloy High School, where Kenny Anderson went to school, mm -hmm. Kenny Smith. And they would have tryouts on Saturday. And my up by Yankee Stadium. And I went up there and I played very well. And Old Hollows gave me a, an offer. I went over to Power to try out. And I saw Lou Alcinda. They had already offered him a scholarship. But he was there and he played with us. We were in the same league. Old Hollows and Power were in the same league. So I got to play in a great Catholic high school league. Um, unfortunately, in high school, I, I, I was doing okay. But then um, I had, our coach got sick and another coach came in and things changed. Mm. And he decided to play his players. So long story short, I had to go to prep school. Wow. And I went to a prep school in Portsmouth, Virginia, named Frederick Military Academy. Okay. And um, one game, it was Frederick Military playing against Bullis Prep at Maryland. And... Um, Corky Carnival, who you know, my nice buddy, yep, yep. He, was, he was playing at Bullis Prep, and he had signed with South Carolina. And believe it or not, Jamal, um, um, South Carolina, University of South Carolina was playing Maryland on a Saturday night. Wow. And we played that game. The prep schools played on a Saturday afternoon. See Corky play. And I was playing against him, and I scored 27 points. <laughs> and Coach McGuire offered me a scholarship to come to Columbia, South Carolina, wow. which I obviously did in 1965. Wow. So, Coach, you just gave us a runaround to, from, from uh, the parts, the grammar, um, to, to high school, then college. But, you know, rewind a little bit, because I know in that time, was it, National rankings? Was it um, 
I mean, I know you played the point guard. I mean, you scored 27 points. I mean, you had to be some kind of some kind of a player. Was it national rankings during that time? Um, and was it like the NCAA? Was it involved in recruiting as much as well? No, not as much. Um, you know, there were like all city and all American. You know, high school all Americans. I'm not sure there were McDonald's all American at that time. Right, right. But there was definitely all city, like Lou Alcindor. Let's take Lou Alcindor. You know, he was first team all New York City. Right. And he was probably whatever. I don't think there was a McDonald's All-American, but he, whatever there was, he was, he was it. Right. I was not in that category. Right. I was, um, I was known, but I was more of a sleeper. That's you. I developed late. I had some academic issues. Right. And um, so I came from, I, 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 I kind of slept, um, you know, I came from behind. Got you. And all of a sudden, I, I blossomed as I got older. Got you. Got you. So, and, and so you got to USC, and was it a little different coming from New York to South Carolina, being from the North and the South? <laughs> give me a little. Give me a little. Give me a little bit of, of feedback from that. Some experiences from that. Well, um, I, I left uh, New York for Columbia in August, mm-hmm. and my my mother wanted to buy me a, a new suit to go to college. Right. And we didn't know about the temperature in the South. She bought me a wool suit. Nice. <laughs> and she bought me Oxford. And I got off an airplane in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Assistant coach Donnie Walsh picked me up. And I was wearing a wool suit. And it was like 105 degrees out. Mm. And um, so the first thing was the weather. Right. Um, it was incredible. And then the beauty, the, the sudden hospitality, um, the weather, the, just the, the people. And, of course, Frank McGuire. Frank McGuire had won a national championship at North Carolina. And he left North Carolina to go coach the NBA and Will Chamberlain. Right. Before, before he left to go coach um, Will Chamberlain, he turned it over to Dean Smith, his assistant, who he hired. Mm. Uh, coach McGuire had a Down syndrome son, and he, he felt like the NBA was not suited for his family life. Got you. And in about 1962 or 63, the University of South Carolina job opened up. And Frank McGuire accepted it. And as you well know, not many people know this, but you know it, um, South Carolina at that time was in the ACC. Correct, correct. But what, what Frank McGuire did was he had a blueprint from, from when he won a championship in, in North Carolina. He did the same thing. He went back to New York. Hmm. And he got a bunch of New Yorkers. Mm. And instead of going to Chapel Hill, they all now came to Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, Coach, hold on. I'm, I'm going to get back to that. It's one of my questions, right? So from a weather standpoint, it was a change. But you, may, you say something real crucial about going back to New York. Do you think being, being a New York native and, you know, coaching down south most of your career – is there a difference between up north players, down south players? When it comes to, I know dribbling and shooting. Those are, I understand that. But what's, what's that's the unknown, always talked about. What's your, what's your take on that when it, when, it's, when it comes to the comparison? Jamel, I always felt like, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to be sarcastic here. I always felt like the, the, the northern players had a better feel for the game. Hmm. They just had a, a better grasp, a better understanding of the game. 
Mm. And I think the reason for that was the schoolyards and the coaching in New York. As you know, basketball, basketball is a big sport. Right. And in New York City, you had Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. You had the mecca of college basketball. And basketball in New York was really, really a big sport. Right. And a lot of people played it. It was a bigger sport than in the South. And you played so much basketball against so much great competition that I believe, I believe, you had a better feel for the game. And then as, as I grew older, especially when I started coaching, I noticed the South, the South was catching up. Uh, at first, you know, football, football was number one in the South. Right, right. But, but basketball really started to come. And particularly in the state of South Carolina, when Frank McGuire came to South Carolina. And so what I'm saying is, the, the New York players were smarter. They had a better grasp of the game. Mm. But I think the South, I think particularly now, with all the great high school coaches, with all the camps, right. with all the things like people like you are doing, I think now um, the South has, has caught up. And, and Jamel, a lot of kids in the North, the schoolyards are no longer there like they used to be there. They became drug-infested. Kids, they, they felt like the parents felt like they were too dangerous to let their children go out and play in the schoolyards. Right. And I think that hurt New York a lot. And this time my message, we got Jay and Tyler Christmas. Certain entities you want to be a part of. Correct. Because you know they have a history of getting kids recruited. They know coaches. Um, and again, the, the more talent you can get in one one place, the better chance you got to get recruited. Yeah, because these guys, these guys are going to go out there and look at the talent. They're not going to come. If you want a team and you're the best player, now I, I, I think when we grew up, I do believe a little bit that if you were good, someone finds you. That's not the case anymore. Mm -mm. There's, they, they don't need to do that because we've created, I say we as society, with with sports in general. We've created this beast to where, you know, you've got all these entities now where all these teams come and converge in one spot. They just go to one spot now. They go to Florida or Atlanta exactly. and watch these games, and they can see, you know, 50 kids they want to look at in one spot instead of having to exactly. travel all over the place. And it's saving them money and their budgets and everything else. I mean, it's, uh, so we strategically, I look at coaches, what their records are, what they're doing with these travel teams. And again, we knew going in it was going to cost money. Now let's get back to the interview. And that's to my that's that's kind of confirmed my point. Um, Coach Crimmins is like, I think the pioneers and the and the exposure that New York kids had playing all the time. We didn't have that down south. It was it was mostly organized. We wasn't able to go in the parks and play all night and play all day. Oh, see an NBA player come on the park. To be able to smell him and touch him and, you know, just, just talk to him. Like, that makes a big difference when you're trying to, as a little kid, coming up to watching people. So, yeah, I kind of – I have to go ahead and lean, give you that nod. And I, from that point standpoint alone, I do agree with that. But – and I do agree with you. We are catching up because of the camps and coming to, and exposure. The Kevin Garnett's, 
you know, the guys that that's from this area that's come a lot, put a lot of things into this, into the area. So I do agree. It's starting to catch up a little bit. I don't, I don't forget Madison square garden. Um, they used to be college double headers there. That's right. That's right. And they were always sold out. That's right. And, um, they were incredible teams. Teams came from all around the country. And, you know, I remember as a kid sitting up in the balcony, getting a, you know, ticket to go to a, a college basketball doubleheader. It was really something to watch. Right. And, and coach, you played the point guard um, your career, right? At what, 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah, in, my, in the beginning of my career, I was a point forward because we had a great point guard at South Carolina. Um, when I was a sophomore, you know, freshman, I couldn't play varsity. We right. all had to play freshman basketball. And then when I became eligible for varsity as a sophomore, the Gamecocks had a great point guard named Jack Thompson. Mm. And he was a senior. And the other guard was Skip Harlicker, yeah. mm -hmm. um, who, who lived in Charleston for a while. Mm -hmm. And Jack Thompson and Skip Harlicker, they were two all-ACC caliber players. Gotcha. 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 And so I did break into the starting lineup, and I broke in as a, a point forward. Gotcha. Uh, I had very long arms, and I could really rebound, and I could defend. So we played, Coach Aguirre basically played three guards. And then my junior and senior year, another guard came in by the name of John Roach. Mm -hmm. And John Roach, you know, is, he's the greatest player ever to play at South Carolina. Wow. And, yeah, I know Alex English is right there and other people, but John Roach is the greatest. Wow. And he, he was like a combo guard. So my junior and senior year um, – Junior year, I played a little bit of – we played three guards, but my senior year, I played point guard the whole year. Mm -hmm. All right. So, and taking back your senior year and, and, and playing – I know, Coach, you know, and, and big, big ups to you, I, I, I would love to play – not taking away from, you know, Coach Crescent thing, but, you know, you put a lot of players to the next level. And that's, that's a, lot, a lot to do with, you know, that, that coach calling and, and supporting those players throughout their careers. And you, you did that for a lot of your players. Um, I see you played one year um, after your collegiate career, and then you started, you know, coaching. What what was that time experience like? When you played, did you realize this wasn't for you, or did you have a bad experience? What got you into coaching after you spent that year of professionally playing? Well, my number one goal was to play professionally. Like all and, of us, right? Yeah, that was my number one goal. I didn't want to coach. And uh, at the time I came out, the ABA was in existence. And I was going to try out for the Atlanta Hawks. I had a tryout with the Hawks. But then the ABA came into existence. And um, there was a friend who, um, the general manager of the Hawks, um, he knew about me. And then he became the general manager of the Pittsburgh Condors. Mm. So he, sent, he said, you're now going to try out for the Condors in the ABA. And then when I, I, I had a chance to make the team, uh, the, the, the rookie of the year that year for the, um, for the Condors was Mike Malloy from Davidson. Um, but then the Carolina Cougars had been in existence two years out of um, – they were out of Charlotte, Raleigh, and, and – um, Raleigh, Charlotte, and I guess um, uh, Durham. Mm -hmm. And they wanted ACC players to play for them in that franchise. So I got shifted over to the Carolina Cougars. And um, I was the last guy cut from the Cougars. 
And then I got bounced around. I, I went, I tried, I played a lot of AAU basketball, which really helped me. Mm -hmm. that, and, and then I went overseas to Ecuador. And then I came back and played in a big AAU tournament. And I played very well and got invited to try out for the 1972 Olympic team. Wow. As in, um, they, they always had two AAU players. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the two invited to go try out wow. in Colorado Springs. And then I, I had some offers to go overseas. And um, I got a phone call from a, a coach in Pittsburgh who had met me at a Davidson basketball camp. Mm -hmm. And he was the head coach of an NAIA school. And he wanted the young coach um, to coach the freshman team. And he just thought about me. Right. He, he loved the way I played. And he called me up. And it was perfect timing because I was all over the place. I was in right. South America. I was here. I was there. And I could have stayed with it. I would have wound up overseas. Um, I, I, I probably would have gotten there to try out for the ABA or the NBA. But I knew my time was running out. And I was a little tired of everything. Right. You know, they say once you get into the NBA, you become a piece of meat. And uh, a lot of that is true. Right. And so the time, and so when this coach asked me, I said, I'll do it. And I drove up, I drove from Columbia to Pittsburgh, and I coached a freshman team at Point Park College in Pittsburgh. And then Coach McGuire called me. Mm. And Coach said, look, you like coaching? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, come on back and work for me. So I went back to Columbia and started working for Coach McGuire. And it seems like, you know, Point, Point Park, uh, South Carolina, App State, Georgia Tech, College of Charleston. Did I got that correct? Yep. So my next question is, from each one of those schools, give me a nugget that you learned from coaching your place. Because you see, we, we talked about you coming up in grammar school, college, not having good um, academics, we all did, just didn't, just didn't focus on that. Then you got a situation where you got this different guard, this guard's better than you, you got three guard combo. So all these different situations that you fell into as a coach, I mean, as a player, you're now transitioning into a coach. So take, take me back to a nugget that you learned from your players at Point, Point Park and how, do you, and how do you apply that to your everyday life right now? Well, you know, like you, like you, you were a great player. I never saw you play. Uh, but I heard you were a great player. Um, I, I, when I played, I believed in um, team basketball, unselfishness. I really believed strongly in that, that um, you had to be unselfish. That doesn't mean you can't score all the time. I agree. But, you know, you, but you, you know, you first, you know, I love peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I love some people. I love people who can see the whole court. And I love a great pass. I love a great assist. I love a rebound. I love loose balls. That's because that's the way I played. Mm -hmm. I was not a great shooter. I could score. I could score the ball. Mm -hmm. But I, I did not have a pure, consistent shot. And so what I looked for when at Point Park, um, I wanted them just to you know, play together as a team. That was always a point of emphasis with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I saw a player being selfish, um, I would, I would really work on that player learning to be unselfish. The team comes first. You got to be part of the team. And once you become the part of the team, you play for the team. You don't play for yourself. You right. don't have a personal agenda. 
Right. And how about South Carolina? What was some, what was something that you learned from players? Well, at South Carolina, when I went back there, the one thing I, Coach Aguirre taught me was, you know, you, you really need to have great players at the college level. And he taught me a lot about recruiting. Mm. You've got to recruit really good players. Mm. The better players you recruit, the better coach you will be. That doesn't mean you can't coach, but Coach Aguirre, he well, didn't remarked, know X's and O's without the Jimmy's and Joe's, Coach. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Coach Roy loved to get the complete player, the finished player. He loved to get the player who knew how to play the game. If you didn't know how to play the game, you couldn't play for Coach Roy. He didn't, he, 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 was, he wouldn't have the time to, to break down fundamentals. He was not a great practice coach. He was a great game coach, mm. great game coach. Mm. And he just expected you to play smart. If you couldn't play smart, you couldn't play for him. Right, right. So South Carolina is in the ACC. Was App State considered a step down when you went to App State? And why did you take that job? Well, the, the, the tennis coach at South Carolina had played tennis at Appalachian State. And his tennis coach became the athletic director at Appalachian State. And he called me up one day and he says, um, I got you an interview at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. And I said, where is that? And, uh, you know, he said, it's, he said, Bobby, it's Division One. It's a Division One school. And my, the athletic director was my tennis coach. And I just got off the phone with him and he, he agreed to give you an interview. Mm. So I drove from Columbia to Boone. And actually, he met me in Charlotte the first time. No, I went to Boone the first time. Mm -hmm. First time I went to Boone, and they interviewed me in Boone. I came back. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was, I was 26 years old. What was your record at USC at the time? Well, I was a, I was assistant coach. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I was only. I worked for Coach Guaya for two years. And I was 26 years old, so I was a little – I didn't, wasn't sure what I was going to do. Right. Well, the next thing I know, they, um, they offered me the job. And um, I accepted it. And I turned 27 in that July. And I got married. <laughs> and we all went up to – married a divorcee with two girls. And we all drove from Columbia to Boone. And we um, – Got a place to live. Got my first home. Nice. Um, my salary, I think, was $17,000. Wow. And, um, and, I, I, and I said, here we go. Right, right. I was the youngest coach in the nation. Yep, I read that. I wasn't sure I knew what I was doing. But here we go. Right. And, and Jamel, I called a lot of kids in North Carolina, and they were not interested. Of course. And I was nervous. I felt like I made a bad move. Right. And what I did, I called, I called my friends in New York, a scout. And I told them, I said, I'm in trouble. I got six scholarships to give. And I'm coming to New York. And I want you to help me fill these six scholarships. And guess what, Jamel? I went up to New York. And I gave six scholarships to New York kids. Right, right. And I'm telling you, one one became the greatest player I ever played there, Darrell Robinson. Mm. He stayed in the South. His son played for Clemson, Jamal Robinson. Um, another kid became 
about three or four of them became really, really good players for me and saved me. For sure. Hey, what's up, guys? Check this out. If you're coming into the Charleston area, or maybe leaving at the Charleston area, and you want to avoid long lines and be greeted by friendly, sweet people, go check out Mark over at Avis and Budget Car Rental at 7685 Northwoods Boulevard. When you go see Mark and you mention Triple Threat Podcast, you receive 30% discount on your rental. They also offer compact to large SUVs and vans to rent with quick, easy transaction and check us out and limited mileage on most rentals. So give Mark a call at 843-572-3190. Don't forget to mention Triple Threat Podcast. So you stayed there for about two years and then you went back to six six years, six years. And then your next step was where Georgia tech. Correct. And that's where, that's where the dynasty happened at, you know, New York, Kenny Anderson, Stephon Marbury, Dennis Scott. Take us back to those times where, I mean, that's when, would you think, would you agree that's when you really like say you got on the map doing those Georgia tech years per se? Well, well, Jamel, you know, um, I lost an ACC championship game as a player. Um, and John, John Roach got hurt in the semifinals against Wake Forest late in the game. We were up by 24 points. And John Roach got hurt. He was not supposed to play the next side. He came out and played. Um, he had torn ligaments. He never should have played. They shot him up. We lost in double overtime. Wow. And we finished 25-3. and three. We went undefeated in the ACC. I was young at South Carolina, and I did not handle that very well. I I fell apart. I just totally uh, fell apart. Mm. I did not go back to Columbia with the team, and I was a mess. So it took time. I got better. But, you know, as I I grew out of that dilemma, um, I started to think, wouldn't it be great to get an ACC championship as a coach that I lost as a player? Wow. Wow. And so it wasn't, you know, I, I was ready to go where, wherever I needed to go, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool to coach in the conference where I played? Right. And a couple of jobs opened up, Duke opened up, NC State, NC State hired Jimmy Valvano mm. and Duke happened to hire this guy by the name of Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> and then the next year, another job opened up in the ACC, Georgia Tech. And ironically, ironically, what happened, Jamel, after we lost the ACC tournament, the next year, South Carolina won it. I was not there. Uh, Roach, uh, John Roach was a senior at Owens. And they won the ACC championship, but they left the ACC. Hmm. And so they left the ACC in uh, 1972, I believe. They go to the SEC. No, they just left to go independent. Got you, got you. They, they were mad at the ACC because back then, Jamel, there was um, an academic rule of 800. Every athlete had to have 800 on his SATs. Mm. And South Carolina had some great athletes, football and basketball, who did not have the 800. 
And so, so, they, so, so what you're telling me, coach, is that they drop it to 700, they lower their standards since then? Oh, yeah. What happened, you know, they, um, they came in with the 800, and then a, about two, three years later, a lot of coaches felt like, you know, John Thompson led the charge, Nolan Richardson, uh, that a lot of black young, young kids were, were not getting the, the education other kids were getting. And it was, um, it was, it was, it was not fair wow. for them. Wow. And so that's when they came up with what they, what they call the combination of SAT score and a GPA, your grade point average. Mm. So and they came up with it. One could be high, one could be low, basically. That's right. It was called a sliding scale. Mm. Thank you, coach. I mean, I, I, we, we see that's, that's why it's so important because all those, those things we're dealing with now, those rules and regulations, they've been implemented during those times because of certain things that we don't even know the cause of them. I mean, that's, that's, that's major right there, coach. Yeah. And so, you know, South Carolina got out of the ACC, which was a big mistake, big mistake. Right. And, and Georgia Tech replaced them. Hmm. And so now Georgia Tech had an opening and they were in the ACC. They were the newest member of the ACC. So they, um, they called me and uh, I was not their top choice. But I told them, I said, you know, they knew about me because I played in the ACC. The athletic director was uh, Dr. Homer Rice. And Jamel, he was the athletic director at North Carolina. And when I was a sophomore, I had a great game in Chapel Hill and he saw me play. He saw me make all these clutch free throws. And he said, you know, I'll never forget that game. You guys came in there and you beat us 87-86. And, and he said, you, you made all these free throws at the end of the game. And so he said, you're on my list, but you're not my top choice. Hmm. Well, the other choices turned the job down, and I wound up getting the Georgia Tech job. Nice. Um, Atlanta was a great city. It was great, tough academics, but the, the thing that really excited me, Jamel, was it was in the ACC. Sure. I would have a chance to play in the league where I, I, to coach in the league where I played, and I would have a chance at redemption and getting that ACC championship back. So the first thing I did was what Coach Aguirre taught me was to go out and recruit, recruit, right. recruit. And we, we got very fortunate. We got Mark Price. Uh, my assistant coach learned play in Jacksonville, Florida at an AAU tournament. He was from Oklahoma. And then I went back to New York. We found a skinny kid named John Sally. <laughs> and Mark Price and John Sally put us on the map. And then the next year, Bruce Darrymple was our first McDonald's All-American. Wow. Right. And then it, it, it just started to take off from there. We worked very hard, Jamel. We well, worked very hard at recruiting. You didn't have, I mean, it was, recruitment was easy at that, after that point. You just had to really just, really just pick, you had the choice of the litter at that point, right? Was it a little easier? At, at, at one point, it was like that. Yeah, yeah. But what's, what's crazy about recruiting is you never know sometimes what you're going to end up with. You That's just true. never know. That's true. And then, you know, you take, you know, you take, look what happened last year in the state of South Carolina. Uh, there were two kids drafted in the number number one and number two or three. We all know who number one was. Right, right. Zion Williamson. Just who was the other guy? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Um, I can't even think of his name right now. I'm yeah, embarrassed. He, he, he got drafted in the NBA, NBA draft? He got drafted at what, number two or three. He was from, you know where he's from? 
He's from uh, Sumter, South Carolina. And um, we'll come up with his name. Yeah. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah. um, He's a great player. Um, And so what I'm saying is, and then, then of course, a a guy I coach against who you watch play, Stephon Curry. Stephon Bubbine. Curry is, uh, you know, uh, Stephon Curry played for Davidson and not one, not one power division one school offered him a scholarship. Wow. Wow. That's great. You're right about that. That's crazy. So, and then there's, there's been players who are highly ranked and you think you've got a superstar and they don't pan out. Bust out. They bust so out. recruiting can get crazy and you better do your homework. Right. Uh, because you might think, you might think, Hey, Oh, this kid wants to come and, and all of a sudden, there's a sleeper. There's somebody in Sumter, South Carolina. There's somebody in Charlotte that is really better. So you can never relax when it comes to recruiting. Right. And so you spent how many years at Georgia Tech before you retired? Did you retire at leaving no. Georgia Tech? I, no, I resigned. 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 Yeah. I spent 19 years there. Ooh. Yeah. And at the end, it got a little tough. Kids, right. were, leaving, kids were leaving early. I lacked some foresight. Mm. Um, you mm. know, you need, you got to You got to keep an eye on the big picture. You got to live in the present, but you got to keep an eye on the big picture. And I lacked foresight with some of these kids turning pro. I thought they were going to stay two or three years mm. Mm. and all of a sudden, boom, mm. and it's my own fault. So we struggled at the end and I decided it was time to step down. I had a new president, a new athletic director, and I was not, I had lost some of my happiness. Right, right, right. And um, I just felt things were not going the way I wanted them to go. Right, right. And I loved Georgia Tech so much, I decided to step down. But you're, but being a being a player, you're comp- you're competitive, and I think when that void was left unfilled, you know, was Carlos Charleston your next job after after your resignation? What happened? It was, it was the year 2000. I stepped down, and what I wanted to do was to – I wanted to sit out one or two years mm-hmm. and then go back to coaching. But I, want, I needed the break. Right. I, I had some burnout. I just felt like I needed the break. Right. Um, you know, I was running all over the place recruiting. And so I came to Hilton Head, a beautiful place, about two hours and 15 minutes from Charleston. Right. And um, I fell in love with the, I fell in love with the low country. And, but the next thing I know, I looked up, Jamel, and six years had gone by. <laughs> six years. And I turned down some decent opportunities. Right. I almost was going to go to Florida State. Wow. Uh, but they made it. Uh, if, if Leonard Hamilton did not go, um, I was the next choice. And I might have taken that job. It, it was within the ACC. That would have been a problem to go against Georgia Tech. <laughs> but I had some good offers like, you know, DePaul. I had some, but my heart wasn't in it. Right. And then what happened um, one day is, um, you know, Greg Marshall, who I knew, I knew, I knew Greg. And, um, and then Greg decided, you know, actually Charleston, actually Charleston called me during that time. When John Crest, um, when John Cress, um, your coach, yeah. when he retired, you guys called me, but I was not interested. Right. And so you hired a coach, 
And when things didn't work out, you then hired Greg Marshall. Yep. And uh, I can remember this like it was yesterday. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a clinic down here in Hilton at a camp, like you love to do, working with young kids. And um, I text Greg Marshall congratulating him. And I told him it was a great move. And then my buddy Corky Carnival, <laughs> he called me at camp two days later. And he said, Greg Marshall has left. He did what you did at South Carolina. <laughs> he said, he pulled a Bobby Kramer. I did not believe Corky. Right, right. So I hung up the phone and I thought, and then Corky called me back and I hung up the phone again. And then I said, why would he call me back twice? So I went out in my car and I turned on ESPN news. Right. And I couldn't believe it. And then, and the way they said it, they said, Greg Marshall has pulled a Bobby Cremins. <laughs> he has left college at Charleston and gone back to Winter. <laughs> so I called Corky and apologized. And then Corky told me to call, um, uh, the athletic director, Fred, um, Fred Daniels, uh, not Fred, Fred Daniels, Daniels. Joe, Fred Joe Daniels, Rose. uh, he was the acting, and Jerry Baker was on yep. a, 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 a cruise. Yep. So Fred Daniels was in charge of the search. So, so I called Fred, and they wanted to know, will you come? And I said, I believe so. So the, I drove up to Charleston, and at that time, you also, they called Buzz Peterson, who was coaching at Coastal Carolina. That's correct. So Buzz and I were there at the same time on campus. We didn't run into each other. They were trying to, they had me going one direction, him going the other direction. <laughs> right. And then I finished the interview. I was driving back to, to Hilton Head and I got a phone call halfway. I pulled off the, the road and they offered me the job. Awesome. awesome, awesome. So that's how that happened. And this time my message, we got Coach Earl B. Then I believed that I had a chance to go to college somewhere. Wow. And I was fortunate that uh, the coach from Savannah State spoke at our athletic banquet. And, uh, and he told me that uh, he would give me the opportunity to walk on. And I made it simply because I was an athlete. Right. And again, that came up from the playground. I can play football, I can play basketball, a uh, little bit of baseball, but then in football, I could throw, I, I could kick, I could catch. Right. Uh, and then I had a little mean streak in me. Right. And, um, and that's the only reason I made the team at Savannah State College in football. Now let's get back to the interview. And, and I think it was a it was a great move. I think what you know, besides Coach Cress, I think we all talked about is having you in that seat kind of ignited the the energy to have a big name coach come back to school. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's not taking away from other coaches, but yeah. didn't didn't have a big name, didn't have a credibility at that time. And I think we got a, a real credible coach with big wins. So I kind of you gave that big spark back to the city that we, what we needed at that time. Yeah, I was nervous. It was six years. I had not coached in six years. Right. But I inherited some very good players. I, I inherited one player probably like you. Like I said, I've never seen you play. Uh, but I inherited a kid by the name of Dante Draper. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Remember now, how would you compare you to Dante Draper? Um, uh, Dante, like he was up north, so he could put it on the floor better than I could. But like I was a scorer too. I can really put the ball in the hole. I had a knack of reading body language and body angles, and I could score. But I wasn't a point guard. And being being that I'm I'm a five eleven six foot in my position, I had to be a point guard. So that was kind of my hiccup. But com- comparison, um, I think I would I would better shooter. Maybe he probably could just probably could get to the hole a lot easier and can really manage the floor. But I was just outright score. Yeah, and I didn't know Dante. And yeah. I didn't know he had the heart of a giant. He did, yeah. I, I didn't know that. You know, we had David Lawrence. Uh, we had Marcus Hammond, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Josh yeah. Jackson, Kanimba. Um, we had some good players. And I brought in a kid. I saw a kid play. He was skinny. He weighed about 140 pounds, named Tony White. <laughs> and I said, look, Tony, this is the deal. Uh, I'll bring you in and redshirt you the first year. Right. Well, he played so well, I couldn't Richard him. Right. But, but Dante Draper, I, I, I didn't know what I had. I really didn't. Mm. And so th- th- those kids, they saved me the first year. Um, the, I'll never forget that game against Chattanooga at home. We were down 14 points with like seven minutes ago. And Dante took over the game himself. Mm. And he scored the basket to put us ahead with like 10 seconds. They came running down the court, and Dante blocked the shot, the winning <laughs> shot. But, and, hey, Dante, Dante is good friends with Carmelo Anthony. So and that goes, again, the up, the up north IQ yep. that, that, that always, you know, takes over, you know, when Dante he was. was a, he was a very quiet kid. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I had to do, the kids had to buy in. It was, it was a little difficulty, but Dante – you know, he just, he held us together. And David Lawrence was a heck of a player. And Josh and Jermaine, Jermaine yeah. could be a pain in the butt sometimes, yeah. Yeah. but he could score inside. The guy could score inside. And then while all this was going on, Jamel, we had a, we had a, we're looking at the big picture now. I had my staff, I told my staff, we need to have a great, great recruiting class. Mm-hmm. And so we went out. Our first recruiting class was uh, Drew Godlock, mm-hmm. um, um, Jeremy Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, Antoine Wiggins, Monroe, Donovan Monroe, and then out of Charleston, outside Charleston, Dustin Scott, who mm-hmm. was at a junior college. Right, right. And that was a great recruiting class. Right, right. And uh, we did not know Drew Godlock was going to be that good. We did not know that. Right. He scored a lot of points. He scored a lot of points, but we had no idea. Um, I thought Antoine, I knew Antoine was not a great shooter, but I, you know, I thought Antoine was going to be great. Long. Yeah. And Jeremy Simmons was a sleeper. Jeremy could, he had hops, Mm -hmm. but you know, you know, Donovan was as tough as nails. He was right. From Charlotte. Uh, Right. Yeah. And Dustin, Dustin Scott had a lot of talent, but Drew, Drew just became a different player. Right. That was a big win against North Carolina, Coach. Um, yep. And the, when Drew hit that shot, I think we either yep. win it or send it overtime. That was, a, that was a huge win. Yeah, my biggest disappointment at Charleston was not going to the big dance. But, you know, um, you know thank God that happened. Um, and that's all behind us because I wanted to go to the big dance so bad. And we had yeah. the team. Yeah. Drew, Drew's senior year, when, then Jeremy got hurt. 
But, you know, we, we won the regular season. We've been to the NIT, but the one thing we wanted to do, but Earl Grant, Earl Grant has taken the, he's taken the elephant out of the room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For me, for me, for all our fans, I can't thank Earl enough. For sure. When he won that game. For sure. And, and that's a big thing. The expectations at Charleston, they're, they're high because of Coach Crest, because of you, because of the fans. Right. You guys had some great, great teams. Right. And Charleston is expected. You know, when I went to Charleston, that was one of the main things, you know, was to get an NCAA bid. We, the, the new arena had to be built. We did not have the new arena when I went there. That would help our recruiting as well, too. Yes. And we needed that new arena. When I got there, you know, Coach Kress had, and Jerry Baker, they all worked very hard. But I told them, I said, we got to have this arena. We got yeah. I don't know what we got to do, but we got to get it. Hey, hey, Coach, in closing, a couple more questions, but I want to ask you, you know, one quick question. You've been over 30, 40 years of coaching. We all, I have kids, you got kids, and we all got our favorites. You know what I mean? We love them all. We got our favorites. So out of all your whole time, who, who would you say is, 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 is your favorite player? Well, I've been asked that a lot. I don't, I don't like that question. Right, right. I really don't. Well, um, characteristics – Characteristics-wise, well, yeah. what would be um, the biggest, well, like, best characteristic from a guard yeah. or a big man? Well, first and foremost, you know, my favorite players are the players who get the most out of their talent. I like that. Uh, yeah. Both on the court and off the court. And I wasn't asking that question to put you on point. I want to ask that oh, question no. because I, I, I want to hear the – I mean, we want it like – Yeah. No, I was, I was just kidding you. I was kidding you. A lot of people ask me that question. Right. They put, they put me on the spot. But I tell them. I could have a great player who never went, you know, it was tough for him to go to class. He wouldn't go to class. He's not my favorite player. Right, right. Um, I could have a kid that um, goes to class every day, but when he gets on the basketball court, you know, he always complains. Um, to me, my favorite players are the ones who, you know, who, who uh, meet their responsibilities, who are unselfish, who um, go to class every day, who understand, you know, that they're to get education. I did not understand that as a player. We, we all did it. And, and then when they get on that court, I want to see their eyes light up. I want to see that smile. I want to see that determination. I want to see them get after it. And I've been fortunate to have players like that. Dante right. Draper. Right. Dante Draper was a player like that. Now, sometimes academically, I, I, had, to, I had to tell Dante, Dante – did you take, you know, did you, uh, t did you um, make sure you took that test? Right, right. <clears throat> but Dante, when Dante Draper came out to practice, when he came on that court, no games. he was fun to coach. He was fun to coach. No games. Yeah, and, and off the court, you know, he, he met his responsibilities. He stayed away from the drugs. He stayed away from the bad things. Right, right. He, he, he was a great kid. He came from a rough background. You mentioned Carmelo Anthony helping him. Right, right. And um, those are the guys you, want, you really love coaching. Now, let me tell you something. Everybody's going to have a problem. And I always told my team, you know, you're going to have problems and we'll get through them. But, you know, just let's be upfront about it. Right, right. You know, I'm, you take Jermaine Johnson today. Jermaine Johnson's a, an outstanding young man today. For sure. And I'm not going to lie to you. You know, he gave me some problems early on. Right. He challenged me, 
Right. And and he's turned out to be a beautiful person. Josh Jackson. Yep. Yep. Josh Jackson, you know, I kept on trying to get him to lose weight and he never would take it serious. Right. Right. And today he's a beautiful young man. And he could have played for his size. Like he had, yeah. he could have go for his size. Yeah, yeah, he could. Yeah. So, so answering your question, you know, I want a good kid. I, I know we're going to have problems. And when we have problems, I want a kid that we can work through the problems together. Gotcha. So, and, and coach, what would you tell a player that's looking to go to college, you know, being a collegiate coach, former collegiate coach, Give me three things that you would tell a player that's listening. What do, what do they, they need to do in order to not only get noticed, but to be effective in life after high school basketball? Yeah, well, one of my big sayings, you know, was, you know, you can't put the cart in front of the horse because it's not going to move. Mm. The horse got to be in front of the cart to make everything move. Right. So my point there is, you know, you you got to stay in the present. You got to um, you you can't be thinking about the NBA if you're in high school. You can't be thinking about the NBA if you're in college. You got you got to take one step at a time. Right. And I would tell a young man concentrate on where you are right now. Where you are right now. And um, let's say you're in high school and you want to play in college. Well, you should concentrate on being making your team and being the best player you can be for your team. Mm. If, if, if you play at a good program, you should get enough exposure uh, where a coach or an AAU coach can help you get to the next level, whatever that level is. Right. But I would concentrate right where you are, making the team and being the best player you can for, for your team. If and then you see what opportunities there are out there, right? If the opportunity that you want is not there, you could go to prep school, you could go to junior college, you could walk on. There's a lot of other options, but you must improve as you go along. Mm. If you're in college and you want to play in the NBA, it's the same thing. I would tell them the same thing concentrate on being the best player you can for your team and let 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 it take care of itself let it just naturally evolve if you're good enough they will find you right right and you you know they might not find you right away you might have to go i i, I encourage drew godlock to go to the d league right but then all of a sudden russia offered him a million dollars right he said bye bye coach <laughs> right um because i told him i said drew you're an nba player but right now, you know, you, you don't have the opportunity. Go to the D-League right. and sacrifice for a couple of years. Right. Now, he wind up playing for the Lakers. Uh, but then the Lakers would not offer him another guaranteed contract. And Russia and Europe and whatever, they offered him guaranteed money. For sure. You and he it. had to go with the guaranteed money. Right. So, you know, I thought Dante Draper was an NBA player. Right. I know he was, he was not big. His size hurt him. But I wanted Dante to um, go to the D-League. Right. But again, Dante had a great career overseas. Right. He made really good money. He was a great player overseas. Right. 
He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now, Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And its philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically, teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. And, and so, Coach, in closing, um, what we've designed, well, first before we close on our last question, what do you tell the same thing for coach, someone that's a coach that's inspiring to coach collegially? Give, give us some, some, some feedback on that. What would you tell them, a young coach, listen to, looking at the coach? Yeah, I would, I would tell a coach um, to work camps, work summer camps. Mm -hmm. To work, like, let's say you live in Charleston. Well, you could work College of Charleston's camp. You got um, – Charleston Southern, you got the University of South Carolina, you got Clemson, Wofford, Furman, Coastal Carolina, Citadel. Citadel. I would say go work some camps. Go work some camps. Um, I would stay on recruiting. I would know a lot about recruiting. I would know a lot about the game of basketball. Not only, you know, I'd go to clinics. I'd go to a lot of clinics. I used to love to go to clinics. Right. To right. listen to the great coaches. Right. And, and what, are, what should they do at these clinics? Should they talk to other coaches, build a relationship, get cards, ask questions? Well, the first of all, they should go to the clinic to listen to the speaker and take notes and learn the game. Mm -hmm. There's some great clinics. In South Carolina, you know, you got Charlotte. Charlotte always has great clinics. Nike, Adidas. You know, you got to find out where some of these great clinics are. Right. If you can't go to clinics, all these schools I just mentioned, go to their practices. Mm. Go to some practices. Mm, good point. Yep. And learn the game. Also, at the, at the practices, at the clinics, you're going to meet people. You're going to meet different people. Right. And right. that's really, really going to help you. Right. All right. In closing, Coach, Open Recipes, what we do is uh, Open Recipes, skill development, education, and nutrition. Those three things can – go along with any sport in any professional career. So I want to get your input on how important these three things is to you and how do you apply them to your life? Let's start. Right, with what, what, what are they again? What are the three things? Skill, de uh, skill development is the first one. Right. Oh, skill development is very important. My skill development was a lot of it was on my own. And the other was when I was in grammar school, I had a really good coach. Mm -hmm. He'd make us dribble around chairs um, and do it left hand and right hand, both hands. And that was great skill development. I became a very, very good ball handler because of that. Gotcha. And then, then what I would do on my own, I would go to the schoolyard and play on my own. Uh, they stole my first basketball, but then I got another one. And I would love to get up early on the weekends and go to the schoolyard and stay late at night and practice a lot on my own. I think skill development is incredibly important. How about education? 
it's, you know, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. You know, it, throughout my career, I saw some great players and their academics were not in order. Mm-hmm. I took some chances, some I probably shouldn't have taken, uh, but it, I hated to see a player I loved. And then I'd find out his academics were not in order. It was a bummer. Right. It was a bummer. Right. And then, but, the, but then if you see a player you like, and then all of a sudden you, you know, you call his, you see his high school coach, and you say to him, you know, what is his academics like? And if his high school coach says he's qualified with the clearinghouse, he's all set, he's a very good student, that is a tremendous thing for a coach to hear. Mm-hmm. And lastly, nutrition. Yeah, it's a big thing. Dennis Scott, you mentioned Dennis Scott. For two years, I coached Dennis Scott at Georgia Tech, and I couldn't get him to believe in nutrition. Mm. Finally, I went over to the, went over to the, um, we didn't have PE. We, we went, I went over to like um, the health, the health and science. And I found a, a nutritionist, a young, a young lady. And I said, I need help. And she came over and she did a tremendous job on Dennis Scott. Awesome. She, she showed him his true body fat. Awesome. And Dennis finally, finally, it finally hit his brain. He finally got out of denial and he finally realized that he had this excess weight. Josh Jackson, you mentioned Josh. We tried, we tried with Josh right. to get him to lose weight. Um, but, you know, it's so important today. Yeah, Dennis, uh, could have, Dennis could really could have stroked that thing. I mean, like. Uh, Dennis I mean, was unbelievable. Now, let me tell you something. After he got his nutrition squared away, he became ACC Player of the Year. Mm. First team All-American. Wow. Wow. Uh, the next two years, well, n- not the next two years, the next one year, he left after his junior year. Wow. He was he was absolutely incredible. And the most important thing, he was very, so happy with himself and so proud of himself. Right. That he had now he knew about body fat and he knew about nutrition. Cole, before we go, James Forrest. Yeah, James Forrest is a great player. Right. Um, James, yeah, when I recruited James, you know, obviously he's from outside Charleston. Yeah, James Island. James Island. He was in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And um, he had a lot of talent, a lot right. of talent. He was, um, he was a little bit undersized. He was, uh, uh, he was a, well, I call a tweener. He was a better four than a three. His natural position was four, even though he was only about six, six. Right. Right. Sort of like uh, Charles Barkley. Yeah. 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 And um, he had, unfortunately he had some injuries. And they happened. He was ACC Player of the Year in the tournament, most valuable player ACC Remember tournament. That. Remember that. His sophomore year, and maybe in hindsight he should have left early. Yeah. But then he started having some injuries, and they continued when he was a pro. He played a lot of years overseas. He was with the Lakers for one year. Gotcha. Uh, I'm proud of James. He's grown up a lot, and he's doing a lot of good. He has his own program now in Atlanta. Yep. Yep. And he's doing very well. Yep. <clears throat> Married to an, he went overseas and came back with an Italian wife. <laughs> Coach, it's amazing how you 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 keep up with your players and you can just ramble off what they're doing. I think I think that's I think that's awesome. 
Um, lastly, coach, last question, I'll let you go, I promise. Athletes are getting paid now, where they likeness to their names. Um, my thing, I want what do you think about athletes getting paid and, and, and what's the, the case of that's going on now? I want you to hear what, what, what I think is, is important. Um, athletes getting paid, I think whatever the stipend is, they say, well, it can, it can go from school to school, or conference to conference. I think an athlete should get a certain stipend. Let's say it's 50 grand, right? 25,000 as a freshman, then 25,000 when they graduate. And here's why. You spend four years of high school, you, you don't work. Four years of college, you can't work because you know, you're in a scholarship. So you're eight to 10 years out of the job market. Golf, golf bit if you get hurt. So if you don't get a contract your senior year, you got one to two years that you just stuck. So I think that can come into play. But now with the, the likeness of the names, that can really kind of help some of his families. What, what are your take on that before you go? Yeah, I'm worried about the NIL. I really am. The what now? I'm worried about the NIL. What's that? Name, image, likeness, what you're talking about. Okay. I'm very worried about it um, because I don't understand the model for it. I don't see a model for it. I thought the answer to this was the cost of living expense, mm. is, which is what the players get now, mm. which is they, the NCAA does not like the word stipend. I think, uh, I, I think stipend is the answer. Mm. You know, I think 25000 is a little bit high. But I certainly think if you gave each athlete somewhere between five, seven, ten thousand a year, um, I think that would be great. Uh, I, I don't see, I, I'm waiting to see. They have not come out with the model for the NIL yet. Gotcha. And right now, so a young man going to college right now, he could apply for financial aid, the Pell Grant. He, he will get the um, cost of living expense. Mm -hmm. And the cost of living expense is not the same for every school. Mm. And um, so he gets financial aid. He gets the cost of living expense. And then he gets, of course, a full scholarship and everything else that comes with the scholarship, right. food, tuition, board, everything else. Um, and, and, that's, and you could still remain an amateur. So once I see this NIL and how it's going to work, Jamel, then I'll start to understand. I, I just don't see how I think we're opening up a big can of worms. Right. I was hoping that the cost of living expense would would be the answer to solve the answer but so there's a lot going on and it's a major thing yeah yeah and it's coming out pretty soon they're all working on this model and we're all looking forward to seeing what this model is going to be like yeah i'm excited to see about it too i mean like you say i know it's it's gonna open up a can of worms it's it's no telling what what it needs to be but it needs to be something you know so um, hopefully it can, it can be beneficial. Well, what, what, Jamel, what, what, Jamel, it's, it's, it's going to be where a young man could take his name, his image, his likeness, and he can go and let's say go into college, into Charleston, the city of Charleston. And he could say, um, you know, I, I'll do some, um, advertising for you. Mm -hmm. And he could go to a shop in downtown Charleston, a clothing store. And the clothing store could say, look, uh, we'll, we'll give you free suits. We'll pay you a little money if you advertise for us. Right. Right. And he'll, it, he'll be allowed to do that now. Wow. wow. And, you know, and, and, that, and, and that, things, that, could, <clears throat> things could get crazy. That's true. 
That's true. Because that, that depending on what business or whatever deal they make with that player, the player can. Oh man, I can see. I, I didn't thought about that from that. Aspect. Well, recruiting. It comes back to recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of these some of these kids can start making deals, and instead of <clears throat> they're going to look for the best money deal that they can get. <laughs> not not the best not the best uh, not the best coach or playing style that fits them. Right. It's exactly right. Uh, Jamel, I've heard great things about you, and I know Coach Cress is proud of you. And, and I know this. I don't know you really well, but I know you love the game of basketball. Yes, sir. And, uh, I, I, and I, I've seen you teach. I've seen you on the court. And you know exactly what you're doing. I appreciate that. And, and you, you, know, you, got the, you know, you got the goods to go with it. You know what you're doing. I appreciate And I that. encourage you to, to keep, keep following that passion. I appreciate that, Coach. I really appreciate that. Appreciate that. Good. Well, thank you for your time, Coach. And this is going to go a long way. A lot of people are going to really listen to just your story and just just ways on how to make it happen. And again, I appreciate your time. And hopefully, you know, I get to see you again once all this stuff is is shut down a little bit. Oh, definitely. I'll, I'll you know, I I try and get up there for a, you know a couple of games every year. Last year, last year I had serious knee problems. I couldn't travel. Actually. I had my major operation in Charleston. Yeah. Uh, but I love coming up to watch uh, the Cougars play. For sure. For sure. Well, I'll see you this season when you when All right. You All right. Tell everybody in Charleston hello. Yes, sir. I appreciate you so much. All right. See you. Thanks, Coach. So there you go, guys. Another one in the books. Um, it's great to talk to a legendary coach just to find out uh, the do's and don'ts of the game, how everything has as time has changed, but not really the game, all right? The same things that, that you got to do as an athlete, you got to apply them um, to this to this day. Uh, coming up next, we got Jay Christmas, Tyler Christmas. Um, Jay, uh, Tyler's going to Duke on the full ride scholarship and talking about the do's and don'ts as a parent, what to expect and how did uh, Jay get Tyler going in the right direction. All right. Be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly to get the proper education and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college but i love what jermel is doing it's a wonderful program hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs looking out for the best interest of the youth the future of this country is in our youth and everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful and and i can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people you can follow us on facebook and instagram at jamel president and on twitter at president jamel Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.